What's going on? It's Zach. We have made it to the end of the talk season two. Uh, what a what a journey this has been. Uh, so many incredible stories that have been shared and just great conversations in general about this intersection between mental health and sports and football in specific. There are still a few more days of the campaign to raise money towards Stella's place you know, in the effort to hit at the $5,500 going towards their virtual counseling sessions. Um, And, you know, even if we don't make it, uh, you know, it's been, uh, it's been, uh, it's an honor to be able to support them in the way that we have and will no doubt continue to. Before we get into today's episode with actually a member from the hockey community, Mr. Cody Ohm, great dude, you'll love this interview. I just have to give a shout out to all the guests who made the talk season two what it is. We kicked it off with my guy, Dakota Vine, on the intro. Episode one, we had Asante Houghton from Stella's Place, Nate Bahar from the Ottawa Red Blacks, Carlton Ravens legend, Deshaun Stevens, founder of Persevere, putting out great content for you sports out there, AJ Allen, former linebacker from my alma mater, the Guelph Griffins, now on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And we had the commissioner of OEFA and the quarterback for the Western women's football team, our friend Olivia Goshwaby, Nick Pennard, the offensive lineman from Queen's University, who shared the beautiful story that we were so, so thankful to have him right on the website. You can still go find that on at the55.ca if you want to read his story as well. Then we had two-time Vanier Cup champion and just Overall, great dude, Antonio Valvano from the Western Mustangs come on the show. We had that followed up by friend of the show, Daniel Oladejo from the University of Ottawa. You know, of course, can't thank him enough for sharing, you know, the stories of what Ottawa had to go through this year. I can't imagine what that must have been like. And uh, I can only imagine just a little bit more from having him share the stories of being on that team and being a leader on the team. Then we had the assistant offensive coach for the Carlton Ravens, Nadia Ducare. That was awesome. Merci beaucoup, beaucoup, beaucoup. And it brings us to our final one here with Cody Ohm, the founder of the Head First Movement, uh, an advocate for mental health and uh, with a with a focus on sports as well, which is what we do here as well. Though I do want to give you a heads up, the conversation does touch on suicide at times. So just a heads up if you need to know that before listening. You know, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, this means the world to us. There's a reason we do this. We care about this, um, and especially in this in this platform of sports. So I'll stop jibber jabbering because we got a great guest on the show, and I'll see you on the other side of the intro. Hey guys, I'm Cody. I'm a former hockey player, entrepreneur, and mental performance coach. I'm the founder behind Head First, and you're listening to At Fifty Five. Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. Today we're back with another installment of The Talk, our interview and conversation show with athletes around mental health in sports. And I say sports and not football, which is our normal bread and butter, because today's guest joins us from outside our world of football. We have a former hockey player turned entrepreneur. He started Head First Movement a few years back, and he is also a mental performance coach. We are privileged to have Cody Ohm join us on the show. Cody, how you doing, man? Good, man. How are you? <laughs> excellent, excellent. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. You know, in an interview we did uh, in this series that ran earlier, I asked our our guest sort of what drove him to want to work in mental health and be an advocate for mental health. And he said something I thought very interesting. He said that normally people have 
people don't necessarily grow up as kids wanting to be an advocate for mental health. Normally there's something that happens to you or, or in your maybe circle of your family and friends that makes you want to be an advocate. And I know a bit about your, your story and one of the connections with football is that it involves concussions. So why don't we start with sort of a bit of your background and how you came to start Head First Movement and then we can kind of get into a bit of what that was all about. For sure. So, yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a long story. I'll try to condense it just for the listener's sake. But, uh, yeah, basically growing up, I played all the sports. Uh, as I got older, hockey took a bit of a priority. Uh, I didn't play professionally, but I did do the whole AAA and junior thing. And uh, while I was playing junior, um, I had a few concussions. And, you know, at the time, there wasn't really much of a protocol. I never really thought anything of them. Uh, you know, the majority of the time I get my bell rung or I get in a fight and, you know, I'd be out for maybe the rest of the game or, or maybe a few games, but I was always back in the lineup, uh, within a few weeks. Uh, but around, you know, second, third year university. So 2021, uh, I started to notice, uh, things started to change a bit. I started to, you know, feel super anxious. I wanted to isolate. I didn't want to get out of bed, uh, all these kinds of things. And, you know, within a few short months, I found myself, uh, basically quitting school, quitting hockey and, and pretty much just drinking every day. It was awful. Um, and, you know, at the time, you know, when I quit school and, you know, your parents are, you know, contributing, they obviously started asking some questions and, um, you know, I couldn't really give them a straight answer, but um, they knew something was up. So, you know, with their support, we started looking for answers. Uh, at the time we knew nothing about mental health. I had no idea what I was experiencing. All I knew was I wasn't feeling good. Uh, but the first stop was the family doctor. Uh, so I kind of walked in there uh, with the help of my parents, kind of unpacked how I was feeling to the best of my ability and, you know, without blinking an eye uh, and nothing against doctors. But, uh, you know, he's like, you have depression. I'm going to give you this pill. It's going to solve all your problems. Um, and that was the start of three and a half years seeing 40 plus doctors, medical professionals trying to find an answer. Uh, you know, during that time, I saw, you know, multiple family doctors, naturopaths, psychologists, uh, cognitive behavioral therapists. Uh, even saw a hypnotist at one point, <laughs> I was literally willing to try anything or, or talk to anyone that could potentially, uh, help me feel better. Um, but about two years into that whole thing, uh, I got some blood work done, like a full panel finally. And, um, to my surprise, my testosterone level actually came back at zero. And, uh, the doctor at the time just kind of looked at me and, and, and told me like, Oh, don't worry about it, man. Like you're, you're a healthy guy. It's just a mistake. But, you know, to me, that was a red flag. I was like, hey, clearly something's up here. I don't know the correlation between this whole testosterone thing and how I'm feeling, but I think we should do another test. And uh, sure enough, the result came back the same. So uh, doctor goes, okay, I think you've, you know, you've clearly got a problem here. I'm going to refer you to an endocrinologist. And, you know, I waited six months to get in to go see this guy. Um, it was a long six months. I was actually spending time downtown Toronto at the, the mental health hospital down there. Um yeah, got in to see him uh, and uh, similar story. I mean, I walked in there, he took one look at me and he goes, I'm not helping you. And I'm like, why? And he goes, well, you've been taking steroids. And I'm like, dude, I've never touched a drug in my life. I've just like worked out and played sports. But, you know, he, he kind of stood his ground and uh, refused to help. And I actually saw three more endocrinologists after that with the exact same opinion. And uh, it was rough, man, like that from that time, like I recognized that problem started to do some research and started to see the correlation between low testosterone and hormone imbalances and, you know, depression, and anxiety, all the stuff that I was going with, going through. Um, and none of these doctors would help. Uh, but basically with the help of my parents and the support that I had uh, through CAMH, uh, I was able to, you know, keep going and eventually found a doctor by the name of Dr. Comer in Burlington. And uh, that experience was completely different. 
so I walked in there. I remember I was wearing a, an Old Sound Grays hockey jacket and a Chicago Blackhawks hat. And uh, he looked at me. He goes, oh, you play sports? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, what'd you play? I was like, oh, I played hockey. He's like, how many concussions have you had? And that was the first time somebody asked me that question. And, you know, I, I kind of just guessed. I was like, well, I've been to the hospital like three times for it. I've probably played through a bunch more, but that's that. And he goes, okay, I think I know the problem. So between my blood work, you already knew the deficiency and some brain scans. Uh, basically, Comer determined that the inflammation from the concussions uh, in my brain basically caused uh, the dysfunction of my pituitary gland and was the root cause of, you know, why my body wasn't producing hormones and, you know, why I was feeling like shit. Um, so basically Comer put me on uh, TRT and a few other things like testosterone replacement therapy and uh, a few other medications. And within a month I was feeling better. Uh, within three months I was on a cocktail of medication. Like it was absurd. Uh, within three months I was off all of it. And, uh, literally I had my life back. It was, it was a night and day difference. It was, it was pretty amazing. Um, but during that time, so during that three, three and a half years of, you know, kind of being off the grid, I actually had four buddies I played hockey with that took their own lives. Uh, so, you know, there was a huge part of me that, you know, kind of felt like, you know, I, I didn't know exactly what they went through and, and, you know, if it was the same thing that I did, but, you know, I thought that by sharing my experience, I could potentially help somebody else. So, I basically packaged up that, you know, that whole journey into a Facebook post and, uh, you know, press submit and shit my pants a little bit. And uh, to my surprise, it got a lot of attention. It had, you know, thousands of shares within the first week. And and from that, all these messages started rolling in. And, you know, I kind of realized that it was a huge problem. Uh, something like this had never come to my attention before. I had no idea about the connection between concussions and, and mental health issues. And, um it was crazy. So I took the time to respond to, to pretty much everybody. And um, hands down, it was one of the most rewarding things that I ever did. Uh, but right around that time when I made that post, uh, was when I was starting my e-commerce company. Uh, so you're going to you're gonna laugh at this, but I actually sold purses online for <laughs> four years. Um, and so one way to, that's one way to make a bag, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, anyway, when we ended up exiting the business a few years ago, I was like, okay, I'm going to you know pick up this ball again and, and, and pursue something here and, and start trying to pursue that, um, that same feeling and, and, and make the same impact that I was able to before. Uh, so that's how Head first started. Uh, the original intention was to literally just share my story and other people's story and then connect people with the, the proper clinical resources to get the help that I was able to find. Um, you, you know, just from my experience, it was pretty hard to find the right help. And I wanted to kind of provide a shortcut for, for people to um, get the help that they needed. And, uh, yeah, I guess like the, the whole like brand kind of evolved over time. Um, similar to how I shared that Facebook post in the beginning and I had all these messages rolling in, uh, I had the same thing happen again and I'm sitting there spending three hours, you know, in my, in my DMS every day, like messaging people back. And, um, I had a buddy of mine actually, and he's like, dude, like you should put together a program and, and start putting people through it. So that's what I did. I slapped together a program out of my ass with um, some self-development content that I thought would work. And I put 60 people through it and, you know, I kind of was like, oh, I guess I'm a coach now. <laughs> um, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at. And I ended up um, partnering with a company in Toronto and got some formal training and um, started working with athletes specifically. And, and that's kind of uh, where I'm at now with the whole thing. So that was a long story, but hope I didn't ramble too much and hope, hope that I got the point across. <laughs> well, well, it's, it's an incredible story and thank you for sharing it. And, and of course, you know, my condolences for your losses. It's, um, it it really resonates with a lot of 
you know, thoughts I've had as a football player, knowing guys and, you know, speaking for myself, I've never been diagnosed with a concussion, but it pl- played the game long enough to know that, you know, in a, it's, it seems only in the last decade, we really started to take real focus on the idea of concussion in the past, just a bell ringer or things like that. But friends who've had six, seven concussions, and it really makes you think about what the impact of that is. You know, going back to your stories, just to that point of, it was a three and a half your journey you were mentioning and, and sort of where was it in that, that you finally got on the right track? Right at the end. <laughs> right at the end. Uh, there was a clue about two years in with the, with the blood work that I started to pursue that specific issue, but it took three and a half years to, to find the, the proper clinical solution. In the, in the culture of hockey is, you know, obviously concussions, no doubt are, are prevalent as you were highlighting, but you know, has it, because with football in the last, say, six or so years, it's become such a, not a hot button in, in a negative sense, but something that people are much more aware of. Is it similar in hockey culture that people are more aware of that, oh, that's not, bell ringer is not something you just say like, oh, well, you know, give your head a shake and get back in. Or, ah, you know, just a little stinger. Is it something that in the, in the sport of hockey people are taking more seriously? Or is it still a little bit in that area of just, uh, you know, give yourself a splash of cold water, get back out there? Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely changing. Like, I think it's definitely progressed a lot since I was playing junior 10 years ago. Um, you know, I think there's been a lot of education and I think the culture is changing, but I think that's also the gap, right? I think there's definitely a huge, um, education piece that needs to be pursued a little bit, you know, like 90% of concussions happen without the person being knocked unconscious. Uh, soccer players get concussions from hitting the ball too much. Right. Um, and, and the symptoms of concussions can vary quite a bit. Like people obviously think about, uh, the typical things like light sensitivity and headache and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, symptoms are different for, for everyone. And then from a culture perspective too, like, I mean, when I was playing, like, man, I remember there'd be times I'd finish a game, but I'd go back to the dressing room. I couldn't even undo my own skates and not a word was being said. The trainers didn't care. And, um, to no fault of their own. They're just, I don't think there was like the education piece back then. And, you know, too, like when I, when I made the jump to junior, I wasn't necessarily the best player on the team either. So there was a bit of that pressure too. Like I didn't want to, you know, raise my hand and say that I was hurt or or have to sit out because, you know, I'd be more or less jeopardizing my spot on the team uh, or my position in the lineup. So um, I definitely think that the culture's changed a fair bit from that perspective. And I think people are starting to realize that, you know, raising your hand and and, and taking the proper time to recover and, and get diagnosed is actually, um, a better decision from like a long-term perspective and, and better for the team. Um, but I still think there's a, a, a way to go, uh, both from like an education perspective and from a culture perspective. And I really think it, it stems from the top down, but it also involves like the players, right? Just being able to educate, uh, get educated, and then also feel comfortable, you know, in their group, raising their hand or, or doing whatever they need to do to, to get the proper help and, and to make sure that they can recover. Once again, a lot of a lot of those points resonating with me just in my background playing football and obviously the similarities are, are go deeper than than just that with the sports you know we did a series of interviews just over a year ago we called the life after football and switching gears a little bit but, but staying within that realm of of mental health and and we was all about transitioning out of your sport and how the, the identity of, of being an athlete, whether it's a football player, hockey player, whatever, something that, you know, you've committed so much of your life to and, you know, family functions like, oh, Cody, he's the hockey player. You know, Zach, he's the football player. These things, they just become so just part and parcel with like how we even 
present ourselves to the world. And then when that's taken away, and for a lot of people, sometimes it's taken away when, you know, you still have, you know, more you want to give, whether it's concussions, injuries, anything like that, that transition into that life after can be seriously tough. Obviously, you were able to sort of stay within sport in making your brand, but was, you know, hanging up the skates in that way, was that a difficult transition for yourself? Yeah, man, it, it was super hard. And I see that with a ton of athletes. You know, I didn't play professionally at all. I played junior C and junior B hockey. It was nothing, nothing crazy, but my whole life was wrapped into it, wrapped up in it. And I feel like that identity shift and that, um, yeah, th- those problems are just amplified the harder you cling on to it, right? So the harder you cling on to it after the fact, the more you're going to kind of crash and struggle, I feel. And it's uh, it's tough. Like, I, dude, I, I wore my freaking hockey jackets four to five years after I was done playing because I didn't want to give it up. Um, but the thing is, is after I did that, I started to feel a whole lot better. And I started to realize that the qualities and characteristics I had as an athlete could be carried over to other aspects of life. Um, and I think that's something that people got to realize too. Like as an athlete, you build so many positive, um, characteristics and, and, and traits and, and you have so many awesome skills and abilities that you can you know bring to the world and other domains. Um, and the sooner you're able to realize, uh, your potential from that perspective, the easier the transition is going to be, but it's really hard when all you know is that, and especially as athletes too, you're really conditioned to be, you know, externally motivated, right? You're conditioned to, you know, score a goal. Like you're, you're only good when you're scoring goals. You're only good when you're making the team. You're only good when you get, um, you know, that validation from other people. And when that's gone, that's a really murky, hard thing to figure out, right? You have to figure out how to give that to yourself and uh, figure out another way forward. Because at the end of the day, that stuff's outside of your control uh, and it can be taken away from you. Like in my case, it was injury, but you know, um, sometimes people just get too old. Sometimes life gets in the way and you have to pursue other things. But um, yeah, that identity shift is really hard. And I see a lot of people struggle from that perspective. Um, And, you know, they try to, I don't want to, I don't want to paint a broad brush here, but a lot of people start blaming it on other things. Um, you know, they blame it on, you know, they jump right to the the concussion thing, right? Like, Oh, I had concussions. This must be the reason for my mental health or my anxiety. Um, you know, I, I had these issues, but at the end of the day, like that identity shift can cause a lot of anxiety and depression. And if it's not dealt with properly, um, and you're not able to work through it, it can, it can last for a long time. Well, and even for those lucky enough to pursue their sport to the, you know, fullest extent of it, you know, in the professionals, it's still, you know, we're, you're getting out in your probably mid thirties, you know, so it's so much of your life is, is going to be there ahead of you. And that's, you know, and we're even talking in that sense of a very small percentage of athletes who get to that point in, in some of those messages you're getting from athletes uh, correct me if I'm wrong were you saying that you had a lot of people reaching out kind of on that subject or, or is that something that you were getting people dealing with of how to, how they were dealing with transitioning out yeah I mean that's something that I'd find out after right so like they DM me or I'd st- they'd start a conversation be, being like oh I struggle with this or I struggle with that and you know they chalk it up to you know concussions or um, you know just random shit and eventually you kind of dig a little bit deeper and it's more so like the identity shift. Uh, they define themselves as what they, what they do rather than like, you know, the, the positive qualities and characteristics that are inside of them. Right. So when that external thing is taken away, you know, there's a huge void to fill and, and in turn that anxiety and the depression and the mental health issues start kicking in. Now, so in, in your, 
in your kind of journey into this role as mental performance coach, it's, you know, it's, it's a really cool story because it seemingly just happened almost by accident. You, know, just, you post <laughs> yeah. your story and people started reaching out. Yeah. When you think of the first uh, round of, of, of messages you were getting in and trying to think of the best way to approach that versus when someone approaches you today yeah. uh, talking about any of those similar issues, have you noticed in, in your approach in talking with athletes has changed or just how have the, your experience now in this field, do you think differently about any of the, you know, ideas that we've been talking about? Yeah. Like, I mean, in the beginning, I was almost just there to listen. Right. And then I, and, and still to this day, like they still, that's basically 80% of what I do is I'm just there to listen and, and, you know, they can kind of, um, they feel comfortable opening up to me because I was vulnerable in the, in the first place. So it's easier for them to kind of take off the armor and, and get what, what's off their chest. So the majority of it is just listening. Uh, in the beginning, I was really just trying to point people in the right direction in terms of like clinical help. Um, and I still do that today. If, if somebody's struggling really hard or there's something specific that they're dealing with that I know I'm not qualified to, to deal with, I'll definitely point them in the right direction. Um, but a lot of the times I can kind of read between the lines and, and kind of see what's happening. And um, there are specific things that are not like, there's a lot of people that struggle um, you know, I'd say from like a non-clinical perspective, um, that can be helped. And a lot of the time it's just, you know, teaching them basic self-development stuff. It's just, and, and lifestyle choices too. I mean, that's a huge thing. Um, you know, former athletes or, or people in general reach out and they're struggling with, you know, X, Y, and Z. And then you ask them if they're sleeping, if they're eating well, if they're, if they're working out and, you know, if the answer is no, no, and no, I mean, there's some low hanging fruit to, to take advantage of. So it's maybe just a bit of a reminder from that perspective, but, um, I'd still say like in, in terms of how I handle those, those messages coming in, um, I'm just there to listen. Um, you know, I, I think that's super valuable. Um, just people just getting it off their chest and acknowledging that they have, a, um, that they're dealing with something. I think that's a huge first step and, uh, you need to take that step in order to get the right help, regardless of what it is. Absolutely. And, and you touched on the piece of your, how your being vulnerable was kind of, it, it took down the barriers for other people to do similarly. And, you know, in, in talking with a lot of athletes and have been, having been in a lot of football locker rooms myself, and it, it, I think it maybe goes beyond just the sports that we play. I think it may also be an issue uh, for um for men more perhaps than, than women, but that, uh, you know, sometimes it, it can be tough in that sports setting to be able to reach out to someone who for all, you know, on the ice is your brother who you would go to war with, but that sometimes it'd be tough in those quieter moments to be like, Hey, actually, can I talk to you about something? Is, was that when you were playing, did you find that there, you have, you had space for conversations like that? Or is the culture of hockey similar to football where it's getting better, but it still really is like, hey, we have a goal here and mm -hmm. uh, maybe that, that stuff might be a distraction or. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's definitely getting better. I remember when I played this stuff really wasn't even a topic like I would, I would never really bring it up if it was physical pain. And, you know, I think, I, you know, broke my leg or <laughs> twist like broken ankle or whatever. Yeah, it's an easy thing to talk about. Um, but you can't see what's going on inside somebody's head and it's harder to describe. I'd say when I was playing, there's probably a, a, like a, a few close friends that I had on the team that I could bring stuff up to like this. But I think a big part of um, those conversations and the productivity of them is how the other person's able to respond too, right? So it's one thing to bring it up, but it's the other thing for the other players to be educated in terms of like how to deal with that, right? Whether that's like 
you know, pointing that person in the direction of a, of a proper resource or just being able to like say the right thing and hold space. Um, I think there's more work that can be done from a culture perspective too. Um, Cause even if it's like a, a best friend and stuff, like I remember, <laughs> um, you know, I, I bring stuff up to my buddies back then and, you know, they're kind of just like joking around and like chirping back. Right. They didn't really understand. Um, so I think there's uh, there's actually a really good resource and it just came to the top of my mind. Uh, it's by Jack.org. It's called the golden rules. And they've got a whole website dedicated to like how to support people that are dealing with this stuff. It's not dedicated to sport, but there's um, five specific rules and some uh, calls to action that you can, you know, take action against uh, to, su- to support somebody that's struggling. And I think that's the other thing too, is like naturally like athletes and high achievers in general, like it, it's hard for other people to like understand that they're actually struggling because on the outside they're performing and they're doing so well. Um, and it's, 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 kind of like hard to acknowledge that somebody like that can be struggling a lot of times. So um, just being able to hold space and say the right thing, I think is super important. I, yeah, I mean that, that last point I, I think is just it, so prevalent. The idea that the athletes kind of seem like this sort of untouchable bulletproof person, but as you said, you never really know what's going on, on the inside. So, mm-hmm. you know, on that point, the, the last thing I, I'd love to sort of get your perspective on is, you know, through this incredible journey you've had, through your time working with Head First and being able to help out athletes, if if you could go back in time and and talk to a, a younger Cody still playing and, and maybe still after, you know, before things got serious with the concussions, maybe after the first or second one, what would what would be a message you'd want to give to to that person that's a good question i think i think there's a few things number one uh as i would tell myself to adopt the growth mindset and i would explain what a growth mindset was i think when i was playing i was pretty ignorant to it um so again with that it's progression over perfection and feedback not failure um i think having that mindset and embodying it would have allowed me to uh a overcome the injuries uh, better and more efficiently and, you know, take the, take the right time, but yeah, probably would have been a better athlete. (laughs) Um, and, uh, you know, the second thing is, is just knowing that it it is okay to raise your hand. And even though people don't understand, some people might not understand it, it's it's still kind of the right play and, um, going to be a better long-term decision for, for you and for your teammates. Um, you know, playing hurt isn't going to really benefit, you know, your team and it's definitely not going to benefit your career long-term. Um, and especially from like a concussion perspective, like those symptoms can be, can last a long time. They can last a lifetime. Um, and once you've had one, like the chance of you getting another one and and hurting yourself further is, uh, amplified even more. I think the third thing too, and this is kind of maybe out of the context of your question a little bit is, is just clean up the lifestyle. (laughs) Um, you know, like, you know, back playing junior hockey and I'm sure it's the same with, you know, university football, you tend to, you know, practice hard, you play your games and then you go party. And, um, (laughs) you know, although it's a lot of fun and, you know, I still like to have fun, I think dialing in, you know, uh, yourself from like a lifestyle perspective, getting the right sleep, eating good food, moving your body and and just making sure to like carve out a little bit of time for yourself is super important. And I think anyone struggling with a little bit of mental health or anxiety, I think cleaning up those things can make a big impact. And they're within your control. You don't have to wait for a doctor's appointment. You don't have to pursue medication, uh, stuff that you can do every day. And, and you don't have to start, you can, you can start small as well. Um, but I'd say those things are super important. I think, you know, if I were to look after my physical health a little bit better back in the day, I might've been able to recover quicker and I probably wouldn't have had a better, uh, head on my shoulders, uh, mentally as well. Yeah. I, 
I recall an expression that would get flowed around the locker room every now and then, which went, uh, win or lose, we'll still go booze. Um, <laughs> so definitely, uh, oh, you know, well, so we, you got to celebrate. Bo- but We boozed after practice. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe we can dial that. Just keep it to Saturdays if we can. Uh, yeah. Cody, where can people find uh, you online or find any of your content? Yeah, so the main place is Instagram. Uh, it's just at headfirstmovement. Um, if you've got any questions or, or want to chat to me directly, um, just shoot me a DM. Uh, I'm on there you know, a few times a day, so I'll, I'll do my best to get back to you. And then there's a little email option in the, uh, the profile too. So if you want to send me an email over a DM, then, then feel free to do that. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today, Cody. Amazing. Thanks so much for having me, Zach. Really appreciate it. Take care.